0: If you would, please take out your Bibles and join me in turning to Psalm 38. Psalm chapter 38. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer and ask His blessing. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we know that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Father, would you be pleased to feed your people today? Would your spirit be pleased to open our eyes to see your truth, open our ears to hear it, our minds to know it, our hearts to receive and embrace it? And, oh, Father, would you be pleased to strengthen us, body and soul, to live out and reflect your truth in the way we live What we do and how we speak. Oh Father, be pleased to meet your people and feed us your word. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's an expression I've been hearing for the past couple of months that I really didn't think about much before, and that is essential work. I mean, isn't all work essential in one sense? But of course, we know that certain Jobs were deemed essential, and therefore they could continue and needed to continue, but others couldn't for a time being. Now, kids, help me out. Essential. You know, I looked it up in the dictionary, and I saw something that is extremely important. It's essential. But then it went on to say this, something that is absolutely necessary. Something, in other words, that you cannot live without. Something that is truly, in the definition of the word itself, vital. Vital. It's necessary for life. Now, when I thought about necessary for life, I immediately thought of uh, question and answer eighty-seven, or at least the question in our Westminster Shorter Catechism: "What is repentance unto life?" They could have just said, "What is repentance?" But it goes on, what is repentance unto life? And so with that, my mind turned to what the Bible has to say about repentance. What the Bible has to say about repenting. Now, here at Grace and Peace, you've been hearing about that two-cycle engine to the Christian life. uh, Repentance and faith, repentance and faith. It, It never ends, it begins but it doesn't end until we are no longer having to walk by faith, until we're no longer sin. But until then, that is the, the, uh, the melody, the rhythm of the Christian life, repentance and faith. And there's two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. And yet, if, if you look at Scripture, it's interesting. It leads with repentance. It leads with repentance. Repent and believe. Now, We don't have the time, and this is not the place to to argue. Of course, there has to be faith present in order to repent. But just bear with me as we look at what Scripture says, repent and believe. Uh, Ezekiel, a a major prophet, uh, back in, uh, let's see, Ezekiel uh, 18, verses 30 through 32. Listen to what we hear there. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Every one according to his ways, declare the Lord, the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. Well, that's a a, a major prophet, Ezekiel. Let's hear what a minor prophet, the minor prophet Joel says in Joel chapter two, verses 11 through 13. The Lord utters his voice before his army for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Think about the ministry of the last Old Testament prophet, John the baptist what did he say repent for the kingdom of god is at hand jesus when he begins his public ministry at least as we see in mark's gospel the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel thus far in our study of acts we've seen peter on the day of pentecost here it is pentecost sunday repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of sins the next chapter he goes on to say to a different crowd repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out later when we get to acts chapter 17 paul in athens will say among other things repent therefore and turn again he says he excuse me that god now commands all people everywhere to repent And even in the last book of the Bible, as Jesus speaks to the seven churches, to Laodicea, he says this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So you get the idea, right? (laughs) Repentance, just looking quickly at those. Repentance is essential to life. And as such, repentance is an aspect of of our worship of God and that takes us to the Psalms to our summer series here in the Psalms you know the Psalms as we've been saying doesn't just promote corporate worship on the Lord's day the Psalms help promote all of life worship here we are on the first day of this new week we're gathered together for the first time in I think 10 weeks as a church family and we're in the Psalms, and the Psalms are going to help us worship the Lord. They help reorient us and realign us. Worship, in particular, the Psalms helps take our eyes away from our idols and put them on the true and living God, and to worship Him, not as we may want to worship Him, but worship Him as He has asked us and to worship Him. Corporate worship helps to align our motives and our manner with what God himself has declared. The Psalms, as you know, are a precious treasure for the church and for each and every Christian. You've been hearing those words from Calvin's introduction to the Psalter, his commentary on the Psalms about the, the uh, Psalms being an anatomy of the soul. I just want to expand that just a bit Calvin writes, I have been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. In a word, whatever may serve to encourage us when we are about to pray to God is taught in this book. There is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God. So the Psalms, and as we will see, Psalm 38 is is a great help for both prayer to God, asking God but also praise, giving to God. The Psalms, as an anatomy of the soul, they open us up and help us to see what's on the inside, and it gives us language. Some of us were in the uh, series, Who is the Holy Spirit? And We were talking about in Romans 8, how the, the Spirit himself prays for us with groans. As we can't articulate, and the Psalms, in a way, help us Give us language to speak to God. So the, the, the Psalms are medicine for the soul as well that can help close us up and heal us. We are given a language to express our deepest thoughts, our deepest emotions to the Lord. Here we are in Psalm 38, the third of seven penitential psalms. Um, Psalm 38 is a variation on the conventional lament psalm. That's, I'm in a crisis, God help. Because there's a twist in these penitential psalms. You see, the enemy is not an external enemy. The enemy is found within. It's not a physical threat, but mainly spiritual guilt. You see, the psalmist needs deliverance not from a threat to his life, his physical life, but rather he needs to be delivered from a peril of soul. You'll see as we read Psalm 38 that David is in anguish of body and soul, desertion by friends, hostility from enemies. Now, not all troubles result from one's own sin. Uh, Jesus makes that clear. In answering a question uh, of the disciples, uh, we saw that in Job, where Job's friends were certain that Job had done something to deserve. Now, while that's true that all, you can't trace things back to sin, here in Psalm 38, David says, oh yes, you can. Now, back to uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, Eighty-seven, And this time to the answer. Remember the question, what is repentance unto life? And the answer, repentance unto life is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God. With full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Psalm 38, as I believe we will see, shows us a true sense of sin, as well as an apprehension of the mercy of God. I think the best way to do this is just to read Psalm 38, and then we'll have pretty much just two points. uh, His sin and God's mercy, or my sin and God's mercy. Psalm 38, the Psalm of David for the memorial offering. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and on your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester. Because of my foolishness, I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it it also has gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man; I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But to, but for you, O oh Lord, do I wait? It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous, they are mighty, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Wow. Well, here it is, the divine human encounter. You see, David is reflecting upon his relationship With the Lord. David looks both inward toward himself and he looks outward toward God. And what does he see? Two things in particular his sin and God's mercy. First, looking inward, he's seeing and he's acknowledging his sin. He has a true sense of his sin. Now, what's David's situation? Well, this psalm we don't know we don't have any uh, historical narrative to match it up now some people may say now that's a problem because I need to understand what exactly was happening with David in order to get something out about it actually it's a blessing why is it a blessing because now it can be applied to your situation you can put your zip code on it you know I fill out a lot of forms, and, and one of my things I often um, I, I fill out is N-A. Kids, do you know what N-A is or N slash A? Anybody know what N-A, when you're filling out a form? Not applicable. Not applicable. And, but, but the fact that you don't know the historical situation, that is saying it is applicable, it is applicable, it is applicable, and I believe we will see that. David is in misery. Did you hear the language? David is miserable and oh, what can miserable Christians sing? The Psalms. You see, if our version of the Christian life is success and winning, what do we do when we're unsuccessful? What do we do when we lose? What do we do When honestly, you answer somebody's question, How are you doing with words not so great? Oh, my friends, the Psalms are a treasure for us as a church, as individuals. David, as you heard, sinks lower and lower, and what is burdening him? His sin. His sin. David acknowledges, what does he say? My sin, my iniquity, my foolishness. Um, He then goes on to say sort of in passing, oh yeah, my my friends and family have abandoned me and I'm being opposed by enemies. But, But David is far more burdened, far more weighed down by his guilt. How he has sinned and offended God. He recognizes that C.S. Lewis in the problem of pain, some of you have heard this, says God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Interesting, even though David will say he's deaf and and we'll get to that in a moment. uh, No, he's not. His pain has opened his ears. His pain has driven him to the Lord. You see, his physical illnesses have opened David's eyes to his spiritual plight. It's kind of like Psalm 32 we looked at maybe last summer about how the bones were crushed and, 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 and the, all my moisture was, was out. It's like this combination of spiritual and physical. It's a torment of, of, of mind and body. Lower and lower David goes. And he accepts it as God's chastening. He accepts it as God's discipline. David here does not say, I take no responsibility at all. David actually says, I take responsibility for my sin. Look with me. Put your eyes on verse 18. Toward the end. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Some translations, I am troubled. I am anxious for my sin. Everything that he says before and after kind of go to that point. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Back in the, uh, I think it was early 1900s maybe, the times of London... Sent out a survey, said, Hey, what is the greatest problem facing the world today? Now, somebody's got to put it out because, my goodness, there's a problem everywhere you look right now, right? It's a great question, though. What is the biggest problem facing the world? Before we answer this, ask yourself, What is the biggest problem you're facing right now? Is it financial? Is it relationship? What is your biggest problem? What is, the, what is the biggest problem in the world today? And G.K. Chesterton, a writer, philosopher, um, author, you know how he responds? He writes in to the Times of London, Dear Sir, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. That's the biggest problem facing the world. Chesterton looked and said, you know what? I'm the biggest problem. And that's what David is doing. David is saying, I am my biggest problem. It's my sin. It's my sin. It's my guilt. It's my iniquity. It's my transgression. It's my burden. It is weighing me down. And I confess it and I'm sorry for my sin. I mean, David in Psalm 51 could say, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is wicked or evil in your sight. Have you done that lately? Have you all been in a situation where the biggest problem is not out there, but the biggest problem is in here? when we ask the Lord's forgiveness truly, when we ask someone else's forgiveness truly, we're saying the problem is not out there. The problem is is here. Do you have a true sense of your sin? Now, the women in the church are studying a book called Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus. And I read the first chapter about John the Baptist ministry the other day and at the end of um, the chapter Nancy Guthrie has some questions that I just want you to hear some of the questions if you're thinking about what's the biggest problem in the world right now is my heart set on the kingdom of God or am I too busy building my own kingdom? Am I putting myself under the authority of God's word or am I merely being entertained by God's word? Is my life bearing fruit in keeping with repentance or is it bearing fruit in keeping with rebellion? Is my life marked by the fruit of the Spirit or is it driven by the lust of the flesh? Am I pursuing holiness in light of the coming judgment? Or am I presuming upon protection in the coming judgment? And this one, and I think it's specifically applicable to not only David's situation in Psalm 38, but ours. Am I confessing my guilt so that my conscience is cleansed? Or have I simmered in guilt so that my conscience has become seared? You see, Psalm 38 can, cannot be not applicable. It's absolutely applicable. David describes himself as deaf and mute. We see that in verses 13 and 14. I think he's trying to say, I am totally unable to do anything to help myself. And so David has to turn away from himself and he has to turn toward God. He has to look outward and see and acknowledge God's mercy. You see, David had a true sense of his sin and David now has an apprehension of the mercy of God. Now, where do we see God's mercy? Well, I think it's sort of hidden right before our eyes. You see, God's discipline of David is mercy. Early in the, the, the psalm. We hear your anger. Your wrath. Your indignation. In Deuteronomy 8. We read these words. Know then in your heart. That as a man disciplines his son. The Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God. By walking in his ways. And by fearing him. The Lord is disciplining David in Hebrews we read and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives Old Testament New Testament The Lord disciplines his children. David is under discipline. God is is angry. He is pouring out his wrath and is indignant because of David's sin. So not only is evidence of God's mercy found in God's discipline, but the evidence is also found in the fact that David is aware that God is aware David's plight look at verse 9 oh Lord all my longing is before you my sighing is not hidden from you David is turning to the Lord the Lord's presence the Lord's knowledge the it's mercy that the Lord is disciplining David it's it's mercy that David can turn to the Lord and be confident that he sees and he knows. David appeals to the God who doesn't turn a blind eye, who doesn't stay away, who doesn't stay uninvolved. So God's mercy is seen in his discipline, in his his presence and awareness and knowledge of David's situation and also in God's coming down and near, in God's condescension to David. You see, at the end of the psalm, we read this. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. In the midst of the burden of guilt, in the midst of being like underwater, Nonetheless, David is confident that God will hear him and answer him and rescue him. It, David has an ability to wait on God. And it's, it's, it's not because of David's ability, but rather it's... he. Look at this. He knows the Lord by name. Look at verse 21. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God. It's, it's a... God's personal name, it's God's covenant name. Make haste to help me, O oh Lord, my salvation, my master, my savior. There's the covenant, Lord, there's the personal God, and the sovereign Lord. David understands that God has come to meet with his people Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. God has come and condescended to meet his people. Psalm 20, excuse me, Psalm 38 ends in a similar manner that our previous Psalm 37 and in, in that salvation is from the Lord and salvation is in the Lord. You see, if you haven't seen it yet, the God of wrath is the God of salvation because only the Lord's favor can deliver us from his disfavor. So I asked earlier, do you have a true sense of your sin? And now I want to ask this question. Do you have a true apprehension of the mercy of God as David did? One is looking inward at my sin and the other is looking outward and upward at the mercy of God. Well, we've briefly addressed the matter of essential work. That is work that is not just extremely important, but absolutely necessary. And, and the work is repentance. But wait a minute. Isn't repentance unto life a saving grace? Yes. Yes, it is. And thus, we need to direct, direct our attention away From the essential work, as important as repentance is. And we need to direct our focus to the essential worker. Because it is the mercy of God in Christ. The mercy of God in Christ. My friends, where is this psalm pointing? Where is this psalm leaning? It's leaning to the one that David is praying would come. It's leaning to the one who would be David's greater son. It's leaning to the, to the shepherd to come, the king to come, the priest to come. It's leaning and looking to Jesus, the one and only essential worker. Peter says rightly, there is salvation in no one else. And what was the work of Jesus? Verse 21. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. My friends, David's prayer and your prayer and my prayer for salvation and rescue is answered. Because Jesus' prayer was not. My God my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear those words coming from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, I've been fully obedient. Father, I've done everything, everything right, everything perfect. Why have you Forsaken me. The Son is suffering for sinful people. David's got suffering, but can it compare to the suffering of Jesus on the cross? The sinless Son. Who suffers in the place of and on behalf of sinful people? The final prayer of the sinless Son of God. The Father indeed did hear him, He did answer him, and it's the resurrection. You see, Jesus was forsaken for a time so that you and I and all of those who place their confidence and their trust and their security and their life in Him would not be forsaken for all time. You see, we can't get away from Jesus being the substitute and Jesus being the sacrifice. We can't get away from the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience that you and I are called to live and He died For the rebellious, sinful life of rebellion and iniquity that we at times do live. He did that for us in our place and on our behalf. Oh, my friends, when you find yourself like I find myself. Burdened by my sin, weighed down by guilt. Remember that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, we are to repent and believe. Absolutely. But the only way we repent and believe is because that one essential worker, Jesus, has been the one who through his life, death, and resurrection is our salvation. My friends, in days of ease or days of hardship, in days of certainty, if you could even say that, or days of uncertainty, find your rest and confidence in this one essential worker, Jesus And then go out and live lives of repentance and faith to his glory. Amen. Oh, Father, we thank you for these words of Psalm 38 that has given us a growing glimpse of the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may our lives today be more and more transformed as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, lived for us, died for us, was raised again for us. And Father, we long for that day, that day indeed of judgment. And oh, Father, keep us from presuming protection, but help us humbly Finding our refuge in Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.